Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This week's Major Spoilers podcast is brought to you by Charles Muir, Daniel Berg, Callum McCauley, Eric Anderson, Alexander Almeida, Kevin Hall, Sean Krause, Jonathan Urich, and Robert Taylor who I think were the voice actors in the first season of Transformers way back in 1982. It was pretty awesome. I was 11, so I had no real idea whether it was awesome or not. But I know now that it was. And this one goes out today. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Zach. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. In this issue, hey, hey, this is our podcast. You know we love to please a geek nerd, spazdork haven. Rodrigo likes some cheese. We hope you liked our story, although there isn't one. That is to say there's many. That way there is more fun. You told us you like action and games of many kinds. You like to dance. We like to sing. So let's all lose our minds. We know it doesn't matter because what you came to see is what we'd love to give you and give it one, two, three. But it may come three, two, one, two or jump from nine to five. And when you see the end in sight, the beginning may arrive. Hey, hey, this is our podcast. Go find a comfy chair, perhaps a snack, a pudding pack, because this one's on the air. Three, the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who is an ongoing contributing uh, subscriber to the cause. More information on that on the website very soon and some new initiatives that we're going to take place in order to deliver more content to you, our fans. Welcome, Rodrigo. Thanks. Welcome, Matthew. Hello. And welcome, young Zach. Hello. And of course, I'm Stephen, and welcome you, the listener. We're glad to have you here. Um, later on, here if you went, I'm Zach. <laughs> I'll do better next time. Later okay. on in the show, we all get to do our uh, Transylvanian accents. Gives a hint right Whoa. now, Zach. Blah, stuck blood. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Later in the show, the uh, curse of Dracula. Uh, but first, some news. Do, 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 blah. <laughs> This week, we got a couple of uh, things that kind of might strike your uh, fancy or your curiosity. Uh, the Arrow gets picked up for a second season. Toy Fair 2013 takes place in a snow-packed uh, New York City. Jeff John steps down from the Green Lantern, and Lucasfilm will pursue spin-off movies. Speaking of spinning, let's spin that Wheel of Destiny. Let's see where we land. Oh, man, did you see the new Angry Birds Star Wars toys coming out of Toy Fair 2013? I, I like the Lando uh, Calrissian bird or yeah, whatever nice. he, he is. Uh, so stuff. we get a word, official word. It was been uh, rumored for a while, a couple of weeks now, that uh, Disney is going to pursue a bunch of Star Wars spinoff movies. So instead of just episodes 7, 8, and 9 that mm-hmm. they're prepping, they're also going to look at individual uh, properties. We don't know what those properties are, but a lot of people have their hats in the ring for Boba Fett and Yoda and Han Solo. Yep. What, are you, what is your reaction to all of this, young Zach? Me? Super awesome, happy dance time. Why? I think it's that's like super six, cool. Because that's like six Star Wars movies in the works. Yeah. And what isn't to be happy about that? 
is the question. Matthew? What if they suck? Well, what if everything sucks in the world and only you think it's good? Well, here's the thing mm, that I think. Young I, Zach. I using his philosophy minor too, uh, too much. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> not sure that's a minor so much as that is just uh, the Sphinx from the Mystery Man. <laughs> well, he is, he is a minor, so there you go. Until you stand on your feet. One day I won't be. You can never be defeated. Not in our eyes, you won't. <laughs> Matthew, what do you think of this See, big news? Okay, go ahead. Well, I'm afraid that spinoff movies means, you know, not Han Solo or Boba Fett, but like IG-88 and Sebulba and uh, that one little square box droid from the Death Star. But I would watch that. I would watch that. You totally would, yeah. <laughs> Actually, an IG-88 and the square box droid would kind of be a cool Rosencrantz and Guildenstern mm-hmm. kind of thing. That's my but, next indie band name, by the way. My only worry about it is IG-88. what's the response <laughs> going to be from the, the fan droid. base? Because I kind of liked parts of the first trilogy mm-hmm. but i found my enjoyment of them muted and in some cases destroyed by the flat-out hate them that came around because that from second you movie the hate is, them that came from no, you oh okay from the fans Stephen, listen to what i'm saying here this is just pay attention well that's what i'm gonna get to is I, I wanted some clarification on that because what do you care if everybody else hates it well that doesn't necessarily change whether i love it or not but if everybody else hates it it's going to be one of those moments where you're like, uh, you know, I was going to watch Phantom Menace. Oh, how can you watch that? You're stupid. Mm-hmm. That does affect even me. That affects the enjoyment of it. And I think that with the kind of emotional attachment people have to the original trilogy, mm-hmm. there's there's going to be somebody vocally and angrily disappointed by anything we might love. And I think that that is going to be a factor that you're going to have to take into account in your enjoyment. Yeah, you know, this Will week it change whether I like something or not. I don't know. You know, the last couple of weeks, I've just come to this realization that there is no way, no how, no possible way that you can please 100 percent of the people. So okay. no matter what happens, Disney is going to anger 49 percent of the people. Mm-hmm. Hopefully 49 percent of the especially people. with Star Wars, because Star Wars is such a passionate topic well people so really, then you've, you're gonna really polarize yeah. people of oh, oh uh, you know young zach over here oh i really love phantom menace and the pod uh, racing and then you've got uh, old matthew over here that's like bah kessel run in 20 seconds blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what say you middle-aged rodrigo uh middle-aged now i, I am pretty close 30. i know um we're middle-aged Stephen. let's see no well never. I have a I have a strict wait and see kind of um, mentality when it comes to movies, especially when it comes to sequels. As far as these spin-off movies, you know, the, the real interesting thing about Star Wars is that um, were were this any other property, there would be a thousand Star Wars movies, right? Mm. Um, but Star Wars did it like the other way around that most things do. Rather than making as many movies as possible, they kind of did as few movies as possible. To maintain the momentum and then did tons of like tie-ins and other media. This is them basically applying modern movie practices to Star Wars. Um, In a way that that thing that kicked off modern movie practices, Mm -hmm. but then still had enough, I don't know, vestigial appendages from before the spectacle era to not be, um, to not fall, to to not fall into those same trends. Um, I would be interested to see those other movies. I think that the more that they play in the t- 
time period of either of either the prequels or the originals, um, the more likely they are to mess something up and to piss off the fans. Mm -hmm. If they go outside of those time periods or far enough away in, you know, distance wise from what's happening in the in those movies, Mm -hmm. um, obviously, the more room they're going to have to write whatever they want. Oh, yeah. And I I guess that that would be my recommendation, although I'm pretty sure that all scripts are already written. Oh, totally. Uh, I don't know about that because uh, one of the guys uh, is it Kasdan who's uh, writing one of the uh, uh, I forget which one, but he says, you know what? I w- on these spinoff movies, I want to take them in a totally different direction, and I want to kind of, in his words, start from scratch. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, maybe that means we're following the adventures of uh, what's the girl's name, Osoka, um, the young Jedi. Now we don't know what happens to her. From Clone Wars. We don't know what happens to her. Maybe it's a series just with her. Mm-hmm. Maybe we we're... We don't know what happens to her. Well, kind of. Yeah. She... <laughs> Come on, there's young kids in the room. Uh, doesn't she get haven't... eaten or something? No. Um, no. Uh, I could have sworn she got, like, killed and eaten. I don't think she was eaten. Um, but, you know, we could be looking at something that takes place long before the Star Wars... Mm-hmm series but kicks off we could be looking those time frames are already part of something somewhere in the star trek or star wars rather uh, expanded universe if they <laughs> if they want to go into the expanded universe in another place i saw they were looking well, I'm at not saying that i'm saying no universe. matter what they do oh sure they may be stepping on somebody's canon well, somewhere that, in the expanded universe and, and that is and that is something that is going to be very that, that, that as, as soon as we start seeing details for these movies, that is something where we're going to see their stance on it. Right. Either they're right. going to essentially be doing adaptations of books that have already been written because there's no place in the galaxy of Star Wars that hasn't been thoroughly written by some author. Or they're going to say a canon only. All movies are a canon. Anything that gets rewritten is now rewritten. And that's going to cause some backlash, but honestly, as big and fancy as Star Wars is, and as big as the fans are Star Wars, even though it has a huge, uh, dedicated group of fans, um, still the, the people that are going to go watch the movies, uh, far outnumber all of the guys who read Shadows of the Empire. Oh, yeah. And one thing that we have to make 100% clear is canon in terms of the time frame of a certain story is spelled c-a-n-o-n so anybody who comments on this and i know you're gonna c-a-n-o-n not c-a-n-n-o-n that is a large gun mm-hmm. interesting i, just, you say. I, I don't that think you. like when i first saw this it kind of wasn't surprising if you like take like three seconds to think about it because of what they've done with avengers mm-hmm. i was like well this seems the logical choice of them how much money they've made from avengers by doing uh iron man hulk all those separate movies and then coming into avengers i don't think they're going to culminate into one giant movie but just the fact that they actually did they're doing spinoffs from the main do you think uh who's interested in seeing the adventures of young lando uh i mean i'd probably go i would would go watch it it's not like my i'm I'm not i'm I'm really not terribly into yeah, I'm not terribly interested to watch the stories of any particular character, character that, that we already know. I've already seen. What about, um, you know, they've got that upcoming game. What is it? Uh, Star Wars 13? 13, 13, 13. 13, 13. Yeah. yeah. 
What if it was something like that where it doesn't it take place in the lower levels lower of Corazon? Uh, Corazon? Yeah. yeah. So what if they did something like that, Rodrigo, where it's just like, here's the setting, totally different mm-hmm. people. And there were a b- bunch of people a few years ago that were doing um, some Star Wars fan films that, uh-huh. you know, hey, there's the Empire, but these stories took place on the opposite end of the universe from from uh, Tatooine. Did you guys did you guys see Dread? Uh, the movie Judge Dread, sure. Uh, well, not the movie Judge Dread, the movie Dread. The latest one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with, yeah. Uh, yeah. is it Kyle Urban? Yes, Carl Urban. Carl Urban. I think Kyle Urban is a uh, country singer. <laughs> Probably. That might Maybe be Joe. a kid with no belly button. That's who I have no idea. Anyway. That's kind of um, do you like? Do you Do you remember the plot of that movie? Yes, it was The Raid. Right. Two cops go into a building, and hopefully two cops will come out of the building by the end, right? Two stormtroopers going to die. Enter right. the Jawa uh, Two Jedi caravan. go into a building. Two, mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. A Jedi and a bounty hunter walk into a building because they're both out to the same guy, right? Mm-hmm. And then the bartender says, sorry, we're doing Pope jokes this week. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the talking horse says, ah, oh, darn it. Two Jawas who uh, walk into a bar. Hey, sorry, we don't serve your kind here. Right. So no, you um, can do anything. What I'm saying with it. is, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, what I'm saying is, in the movie, in the in the dread movie, mm-hmm. do we find out who runs Mega City One? Oh no! Is the um, is the uh, status quo of Mega City One changed at all? No. Do, is all corrupt, corruption rooted out by the end of Mega? By the end well, of and Mega that's City what, One? By the end of the movie? No. And that's so what made that movie really good. Absolutely. You can take a movie that just happens to take place in a particular universe and not have huge epic consequences right. for that universe. In a way, you know, Star Wars is um, the, the, the Star Wars movies are sort of that wide spanning record of the major wars of, mm-hmm. um, of the galaxy. But there's lots of places where you can take it to a significantly smaller point, still have it be. Star Wars technology and the Force and all that other stuff and make a completely fine movie. Yep. Agreed. But then you get into that, you know, you're hitting that catch 22 of if it's a movie that is, say, young Han Solo, but the actor can't quite nail the same level of awesome that Harrison Ford did. People are like, well, this is stupid. They're ruining the good characters. But if it is the adventures of IG-88 and the Death Star droid having, you know, wacky funsters, People say, who are these guys? This isn't Star Wars. They don't have our main characters. If you go too far afield of what people know to be Star Wars, you shoot yourself in the foot. If you go too close to what people know to be Star Wars, you shoot yourself in the other foot. So, I mean, these announcements are exciting, but there are a lot of things that they're going to have to take into account. And I think that a lot of people are going to be ticked either way. I think it's either going to be this, this changed now it sucks or this is exactly the same. So it sucks. This is what, this is what needs to happen. They need to just put some lightsabers in there because the general public, that's star Wars, put some Jedi, that's the general public. And then they can do anything, any story, any story they want. As long as there's a Jedi and some lightsabers and some cool battles, then you've got the general public and some stormtroopers running around. Yeah. I mean, that's all you really need to get a general public idea oh, of yeah, what sure, star sure. wars is and yeah. then you, you can tell any story you Throw want to, to yeah to get there's some mechanical stuff you have the general public and then tell whatever story you need to do to possibly 
appease the fans or piss them off. Whatever. In- interesting when you're talking about spinoff movies, a, a new book just came out, I think right before Christmas or right in the first of the new year, Star Wars Scoundrels, written by, um, bah, 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 who's it written by? Timothy Zahn. And it's gotten a lot of uh, a lot of interest. It's a story that takes place between, and this would be a problem in the grand scheme of things, but it takes place between Empire Strikes Back and the Return of the Jedi, and is essentially uh, Han Solo as Ocean's Eleven, as Danny Ocean. Cool. So we will see what happens. Um, Wait, where does it take place? It takes place in between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. Wait, isn't he in Carbonite? Yes. What the hell? So, go figure that out. I can think of five different ways that they could do this. Yep. Well. Zach's hoping for the adventures of young Greedo. <laughs> God dang it now. <laughs> All right. Young Greedo would be kind of cool. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. I mean, I would not mind seeing, you know, like tales of the of the cantina or some backstory on why Boba Fett is awesome other than looking really awesome for 45 seconds in two movies. Oh, wait, wait. Darth Maul. Done. I'm sold. Make it. What? Well, best movie ever. Do the backstory of Darth Maul. Double lightsaber. Epic. Everybody knows <laughs> that Darth Maul is an alien from the planet Pointyhead. <laughs> that, uh, that's the that's the Coneheads. <laughs> fine. He, he's a Zabrak. I think, uh, but that's not the point. He's from Planet Pointy Head. Tag it, tag and bink anyone? That would be fun. Mm. But I think a tag and bink story has inherent problems because people will look at that. There are always going to be people who look at that kind of story as lesser because it's secondary and think that it's derivative. Sure. Yeah. Sure, sure, sure. They play up the comedy. I mean, if you look at but if you if you literally take the story of Tag and Bink in the backgrounds of episodes, you know, three, four, and five, mm-hmm. there are people who are going to be like, oh well that was stupid because it's just playing on what we already know about Star Wars. You know, it it really hadn't hit me until very recently that um because you know JJ Abrams is is ta- is is tagged to the um eh. Yeah, to Star Wars. To the yeah, to, to the main movies. Um and I thought, oh well, they went with him because of his aesthetic, because he's already the Star Trek guy, so they want kind of that to maintain that high end space stuff together. But mm-hmm. it didn't hit me until very recently that it's like, oh no, they want him because he's the guy that got the nerds to be okay with the reboot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah totally. Sense. Well, I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait till 2015 when the first Star Wars movie rolls out. Can't wait to, wait to see how uh, Disney continues to handle the property. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're going in the right direction. We'll Bo- see. Boba Fett babies. <laughs> Boba Fett babies. La, 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 la. shoot you in the face. I want to thank everyone who has become. Well, let's uh, have Rodrigo do a little scat th- uh, music underneath while we uh, do this bit. I want to uh, thank everyone who's uh, become a regular donor to the cause and everyone who's contributed the two, five, ten dollar a month recurring donation. If you want to get on the ground floor now for some more great things on the way, please head over to Major Spoilers and sign up now. Also, slashloot.com, critical hit t-shirts, maybe something else. Somebody was like, hey, you should do a this, 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 this t-shirt. And I was uh, just so happened to be going through a folder of critical hit stuff. And I was like, well, 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 here's a design that we forgot about. So that could be on the way as well. Check it out. Slash loot.com. Also, 
If you're uh, over at Major Spoilers, check out Rodrigo's recommendations for other cards to add to your uh, Gate Crash deck, Gruel Goliath. Uh, we've got that over at Major Spoilers Video. That's our YouTube channel, Major Spoilers Video. Rodrigo breaks it down and gives you some good pointers for that. Good job there, Rodrigo. Oh, thanks. Let us get to some reviews. I'm the scat man. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, man, I've been wanting to get to this, but uh, so many things preoccupying my time, uh, even having to spend time with young Zach and showing the ropes on how to do some things. Takes away from enjoyment of watching. Like making rope. Yes, like making rope. Batman The Dark Knight Returns Part 2. Came out a couple of weeks ago on a DVD. I actually, it came out on iTunes. This is really weird uh, for people that subscribe to iTunes. They're releasing movies on iTunes like the Friday before the Tuesday that the, uh, that the movie would normally come out on DVD. So you can get a heads up on everyone. For uh, Batman The Dark Knight Returns, it actually came out like a week or two early than the DVD release. So I've had plenty of time to sit down and watch Peter Weller uh, come back and play the aging Bruce Wayne. Still does an amazing job. And and this is the, uh, Matthew, this is chapters three and four of The Dark Knight Returns, books three and four. And so it starts off with Batman dressed as the old bag lady. And it's really cool to hear Peter Weller go from... You're ripping me off. You're ripping me off to you pull that trigger and I'll come back for you next. It's just really good voice acting. And I know a lot of people hear that RoboCop voice when they when they hear uh, Batman in in, uh, Dark Knight Returns. But he just does a a wonderful job. Uh, The Superman was well handled. Um, You know, I think. You know, there are flaws with the Dark Knight Returns as a book, but in part one and part two the director and the writers have handled this story so well that it actually makes things a lot more clear. Like in part one, I was amazed that I never picked it up after all this time that when Batman got the crap kicked out of him and he took off his, what was then the modern Batman suit and went into the pure black and gray suit, you know, that was a transformation of that character, the breakdown of the character here. We see a lot of the same things playing out where you're getting, because it's being played out in a, uh, in a motion visual way, you understand more of what's going on with the Corto Maltese. You understand more about what's going on with the politics so that when the nuke does go off and shuts down all the power and Batman has to rush out and tell people to knock it off and we're going to take back this city and we're going to not be savages. It really, really works in this movie. The one thing that I wish I would have done when watching this is watch the two back to back just to see it all play out together. Um, but this, but this chapter was really good. The, uh, the fight between Batman and the Joker works really really well um the guy that they got to play the joker the guy from uh, from lost um just an awesome voice character for the joker I, the voice acting is just always phenomenal and um uh and the voice uh, act um uh, voice director um just continues to blow my mind with every dc project that she works on animation really good follows the uh, frank miller style it's good and i i would bet that at some point dc will release both of these as one giant you know Mm back-to-back collection um but this is worth picking up if you love the dark knight returns uh if it had some kind of impact in your life growing up i think you owe it to yourself to pick up both the dark knight returns part one and part two fantastic 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 and the good thing about getting it on dvd if you get it on dvd it comes with a bonus material that often includes a sneak peek of their upcoming movie. 
So I'm giving Batman The Dark Knight Returns four out of five slices of meatloaf. Uh, go pick it up. It's it's very enjoyable. You guys watched it? Have you watched it, Young I Zach? I haven't watched either of the two. I was planning Zach. on reading the actual series What? First. I haven't read it yet. I have it on my iPad. I just haven't read it yet. Rodrigo, you checked it out yet? I No, I haven't gotten the chance. And I'm going to guess Matthew, no. I read the original issues. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go <laughs> watch the, the story. Ends. Go watch the animated. It's really good. So uh, go Why check it out. Why would I want to watch the animated version of a story that I've already read? Oh, because it's so good. That's why. Uh, let us talk, Matthew. New Avengers number three came out last week from Marvel Comics. Speaking of adaptations of stories I've already read, New Avengers number three comes out from Marvel Comics. Uh, Jonathan Hickman, who completely revamped Fantastic Four after the, um, can I say debacle? I must say debacle. The debacle that was the Mark Miller uh, Fantastic Four run has taken over one of the Avengers books. And the basic premise of this book is simply... The Illuminati are back together, only this time the Black Panther is with them, and they're making these hard decisions. Essentially, another universe is incurring on the Marvel Universe, and in order to save one, they have to either destroy an entire other universe filled with people, or have both Earths die. Which, you know, this is difficult. This story opens with one of the awesomest things I've seen in comics. It's Basically, a 24-style visual previously with little bits and pieces from the first two issues. It is literally the little thing that they put at the beginning of your stories in the day to go, you know, what happened last episode? Everyone I've told about the brief is dead. Really, really awesome. And in the last issue, how, one of the how, but let me ask, decided, how, how is that different from what they do in a lot of the current Marvel books, though? They're drawing it. Right. They, I mean, that's what they paragraph. do. In a, that's what they do in Amazing Spider-Man. That's what they do in Superior Spider-Man. Well, I don't read the Spider-Man. Times. Oh, OK. All right. In any case. They actually drew it out with little scenes from the previous issues telling you everything you needed to know. It was not like the, the, the paragraph that I've come to expect from Marvel. And I liked it. Now, when we get to the end of that flashback, three things have happened. The Illuminati have decided that the only way to defeat these creatures, or whatever's happening, is to reassemble the Infinity Gauntlet. Captain America has said, I will not tolerate any talk of killing innocent people, and I have officially tuned out. Because we are reassembling the, the Infinity Gauntlet. One of two things is going to happen at this point. Either we're going to have the Infinity Gauntlet be the ultimate power in the Marvel Universe and have ultimate power and save the day, or they're going to punk out the Infinity Gauntlet like the last guy that Rob Liefeld wanted to be the toughest fighter with the new guy that Rob Liefeld wants to be the toughest fighter. Now, I will say this issue looks phenomenal. Beautiful work. Steve Epting, who used to do Captain America, uh, is on this one. It starts, actually, with the Beast from the X-Men and the Avengers realizing that Professor Xavier left him the time gem, or the mind gem, rather, the one thing that the Illuminati needed to, re to reassemble the Infinity Gauntlet. And then, boom, Black Bolt and Captain America show up, and they're like, ah, oh, welcome, pack a bag, you're coming with us. And they drag him off into this adventure. Reed Richards, um, Namor. Black Bolt, Captain America, who else? One other guy. Oh, Doctor Strange. 
have all decided they're going to reassemble the Infinity Gauntlet. And about halfway through the issue, they reassemble it. There's some stuff that's not bad involving the Black Swan and Avatar of Destruction, played by Natalie Portman. We get to the point where something's going to happen. Captain America puts on the Infinity Gauntlet, and we see this cutaway of Galactus looking concerned, and the Watcher looking worried, and Thanos going, ha ha, I'm Thanos, ha <laughs> ha. It's almost the exact same face that we saw at the end of the Avengers movie, that side view where he's like, got the same smile and everything. And one of the things that I have described happens. And then Namor punches out Captain America. And then they all argue and argue and argue. There's a lot of arguing and a lot of talking. And we get to the end of the issue and the Illuminati mind wipes Captain America to make him forget that he was ever part of this whole thing, that they ever existed. Dun, dun, dun. And, and that's our cliffhanger. I have three or four problems with this, not the least of which is the fact that they name-check the Civil War problems between Captain America and Iron Man here. They reference all the previous stories where we've seen these kind of things happening. But isn't that a they good thing? reference the... They reference the original Illuminati arc. They reference the Illuminati limited series. They reference the fact that these things have happened before, which points out the fact that these things have happened before. There's always an earth-shattering cataclysm, and to me it kind of undermines the story. It's very humorless, very dour. Reed Richards is is very talky, and Namor is very angry, and it just – it's kind of a depressing story. And I understand that that's probably what we're supposed to take away from it. But it's just, I don't know. There's something about it that just rings wrong. It feels like they're trying so hard to build these stakes and build these stakes and, you know, bring in something that could save the day and make sure that it gets completely destroyed so that we don't have an easy out. I understand what they're doing. But it just, I mean, the buildup to all of this feels like it's, it's so oppressive and it's so dun, dun, dun. This is the, this is the worst thing that's ever happened in the Marvel universe. I'm just, when we get to that next story, maybe I'm burnt out. When we get to that next story, that's the new worst thing that's happened. Am I going to look back at this and go, well, we, we did this already because that's how I felt about this whole issue. We, we kind of did most of this already. It's got Lockjaw in it. That'll buy it a star. Uh, two slices of meatloaf for me on New Avengers number three. Beautifully drawn. Hickman is somebody whose storytelling sense I definitely respect and I understand. But this issue just didn't didn't come together for me. Didn't quite gel into what it wanted to be. All right, cool. I guess two slices of meatloaf. For New Avengers number three came out last week, Marvel Comics. Mm -hmm. Let's take a, a spin of things that come out this week. Rodrigo, there is a new Planet of the Apes special from Boom Studios. That's right. New Planet of the Apes special number is, one. Is this the one where we go okay. back to like Chewbacca's home planet and yes. um, celebrate so Life Tree Day? Chewbacca is a Wookiee, but he lives on Endor. It does not make sense. Uh, so, if you guys have been reading the uh, Planet of the Apes stuff uh, from Boom, uh, each story starts out with us uh, being in this alien planet 
uh, ruled by apes. And then by the end of each issue, we realize that it's Earth. What? <laughs> no, that's not. This is our planet. No. Wait a minute. Damn you. Damn you all the hell. You blew different, it up. Different, different characters each time. Oh my god, that's the Olathe Waffle House. You bastards, you blew it up. Exactly. Um, <laughs> largest ball of twine. Oh, no! Wait yeah, a minute. Yeah, that's them. okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's Planet of the Cats anyway. Yeah. They took it apart and they played with it. Now, this is a this is a story that takes place um long after the events of uh whichever movie you want to follow. Either either of the uh, uh Planet of the Apes movies, either the uh, one with Moses or the one with Marky Mark. Right, right. Yeah, both of them had Moses in it. Um yes. So it's either one of those, and then significant a long time after, there has been a lot of talk about humans and apes coexisting and how that can happen. Um, they build a magnificent city in which apes and humans can coexist, but of course that all falls apart. So this is a story about kind of how that happens, or rather, after that happens, the ensuing war uh, for control of the city. Uh, what about this makes it Planet of the Apesy? is that um, there are apes and there are humans. But this story could potentially happen with any two uh, charged racial factions, honestly. Um, Autobots and Decepticons. Right, right. Um, you know, the technology is kind of a thing, but they have guns and they have knives. And really, in the end, even a mighty space battle is mostly just guys with different knives and different guns shooting and or stabbing each other. Holograms and um, fits. Right. That's that's not to say that there was anything wrong with it. All I'm saying is, um, I think a lot of the time, or I think for the early Planet of the Apes movies and the early stories, there was still kind of that sense of, you know, humans trying to find their place in this world. But by the time we get this story, they kind of have. They're still kind of at war with the apes. There are still a lot of uh, actual human rights violations. Uh, but... Um, this story uh, could potentially take place in any universe. Um, Gargoyles versus the cast of Star Trek The Next Generation. Right, right. Um, so you end up with a, a story. There are basically three factions, but even by the middle of, the, of this first story, one of the factions has been largely eradicated. Um, and then you have an incoming army from a different direction. So... You know, at least, you know, for all I said about this being you, you could setting being being able to set this at any point. The story itself is complex. You have three different factions, even though you have apes and humans, you have two ape factions. And then on top of that, you have this encroaching army coming in. So it it has the potential of going in a very complex direction. Um, also, we are introduced to a narrator who doesn't get to the city by the time the book is over. So presumably this character will be added eventually. I have not been reading uh, the planet of the ape stuff before this, as you can tell by my description of the previous issues. Nah. Um, so I don't know if this character is uh, relevant or, or if, well, I'm sure he's relevant to this story, but I'm not sure if this character is from previous uh, comic planet of the ape stories um, on the art is good. Um, I was a little confused because 
Uh, one of the characters looked like she was pregnant in one panel, but then she wasn't in the other ones. So I and but that was kind of a flashback, but they didn't talk about her having a kid or anything. So other than that, I was okay uh, with the art. Um, the apes looked like apes. The people looked like people. I thought that at times the apes look a little too person-like, um, but maybe that is a stylistic choice to be able to give them a little bit more uh, facial features because, you know, if they had, like, the big sticking out uh, coconut face sure. that they had in the movies, it's a little bit harder to get them to emote. Uh, all in all, I'll give this three slices of meatloaf. It's a, uh, a strong effort. I'm interested to see where it goes. And um, somebody shaves a gorilla. Okay. Well. <laughs> Brock Lesnar's handlers did that. Oh, sorry. And finally, also out this week, from Image Comics, Bedlam number four. Yes, Bedlam, the book that gives me nightmares. Uh, if you've been reading Bedlam you've seen some really jacked up stuff and that continues in this issue. This, this is the story about the doctor that is like well, performing surgeries on people. Is that that? No, is that, this that was a different mini from image okay. earlier or last last year. Okay. This is about, that was which doc. I don't remember. Uh, this is about a serial killer that was called matter red who now, through some weird brain manipulations by a weird doctor and some therapy, a couple years later, is trying to, I'd almost say atone for what he did, but in a really weird, still kind of crazy way. And he's trying to help uh, a, a specific police officer who he interacted with while he was being a serial killer help solve some other serial killings that actually are happening in the town or the city of Bedlam currently. And so, last issue, he was helping look through all these cases and sort out which ones were actually connected because they weren't really sure as much of cold cases. And stuff, 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 stuff. Okay, now we're into issue four. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, we open up. Wait, what was that? What was that thing? What was the second to last thing? Oh, just some stuff happened. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. So, get ready for gruesome on the first couple pages because a priest from one of the local Catholic church has been. Oh, it looks to look like he got electrocuted inside of a bath and his his flesh is boiling. But we learn later it's some special oils plus I think a toaster in mm. the bath. Then his skin is boiling. So that uh, always a great image to start off an issue. And then. So Matter Red, or his name is like Press, is helping. He's getting interrogated by the actual. There's actual seems to be like a superhero vigilante person in Bedlam, and he they leave him up on the building to get the crap kicked out of him to testify to what he's all done. So they still think he's behind these serial killings that have been happening. As the nun comes in to tell about what happened to the father, the stuff Matter has been telling to this cop starts clicking her head and puts bunch of stuff together and they realize they give a clear sense of who this serial killer could possibly be and as this happenings there's reports of shootings happening at the hospital and it kind of ends it seemed to be one of it was it this issue is about the same length as the previous issues but not as much ground seemed to be covered as the first three issues have 
I go back through it a couple times. I was like, oh, this is really, I mean, they've established some plot points of who this killer could be and why he's doing it and what his MO is. But it didn't seem like a whole lot. Like, it didn't seem like a we took a big step here in issue four. So there's some interesting points, but not a huge step forward uh, in the Bedlam series, which has actually been quite good so far. If you can handle, I mean, really, if you can get past issue one, you can handle what everything uh, is in this series. Art is from Riley Rosmo, whose style I've been seeing, or his, his name has been popping up on some more titles recently. Uh, I actually like it. Proof. 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 Uh, What's the story of the Bigfoot? Oh. Sasquatch comic. Gotcha. Uh, I believe he did. Did he do the what you reviewed last week, Rodrigo? The Day of the Dead book from Image? Was that his? I think so. I think he was, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think he did that cowboy ninja viking zombie thing, too. Yeah. Yep. I I like his... I like his I like his style. His lines are kind of rough and not mm-hmm. not like all over the place, but just the right fit for this crazy town that is in. The coloring uh it's I mean it's it's heavily stylized. It changes through people become green when they're on the roof and stuff. It's good. The only only problem I have with his art is his eyes seem weird at points like they're like actually asleep, but they're awake, and their eyes are just like lazy, which is a w- weird thing. It doesn't happen always, but especially the female detective seemed like her eyes are just like wandering randomly around the page every once in a while. But uh, not the best issue of Bedlam so far. Still, you probably. I think this is a this is a this is a fun series. Just two and a half slices for this episode. Just middle of the road. Okay. Bedlam out this week from Image Comics. Also, tomorrow, depending on when you're listening to this, is Valentine's Day. And I know many of you are forgetting to go out and pick your loved one up something. You are forgetting as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) That's the power of the force. Luckily, last week you picked up Young Romance, the new 52 Valentine's Day special. In it, that's the issue that has uh, Superman and Wonder Woman on the cover uh, making out. Also inside, I didn't realize this, Valentine's Day cards, Matthew. Ooh. Valentine's Day cards with uh, a picture of a Catwoman saying, you're perfect. Is it Catwoman from her Zero Issue cover? Yes, it is. Is it really? Yes. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, Where she's just got all of yes. that. Yeah. You've got Aquaman. Let's make a splash, Valentine. <laughs> You have uh, Jonah Hex. You put a hex on me. Uh, Green Lantern. Fear not. I'll always love you. Uh, Wonder Woman. Uh, you're wonderful. Uh, Superman. My love is more powerful than a locomotive. Batman. <laughs> Batman. Tonight is for, in quotes, just us. Oh. I'm sorry. Oh, I think Batman just us. should be. I have a plan to destroy you because I love you. <laughs> and then my favorite, the one that I have already taken out and signed over to my lovely wife, which I will be presenting to her on Valentine's Day, <laughs> The Flash. You stole my heart in a flash. Pick oh, young oh, Justin, Young Romance, the new 52 Valentine's Day special. Uh, eight uh, bucks. Uh, eight dollars for this thing because it's supersized. It's like 80 pages or something or 50 pages the, or whatever. Yeah. 
I want to see the bizarre one that oh, says, "Me, I'm hate your face." <laughs> <laughs> I can make that. Give me twenty minutes. Yeah. It, it may be too late to go out and buy a, a, a Valentine's Day gift from Amazon.com, but if you are mm. considering going out and buying a gift for a loved one, maybe it's a birthday gift, maybe it's a uh, anniversary gift, maybe it's just a "Hey, it's the middle of the week, I got you something" kind of gift. <laughs> head over to MajorSpoilers.com, click I'm on the Amazon.com link. Amazon.com is the link you want to click on. Buy everything there. It gets to you at the same price. Uh, same stuff. A little bit gets kicked back our way. And we thank you for your support. Oh. So when it comes to space travel, there's a couple of routes that you can go. You can go the safe route. Like it's NASA. Time. And it takes you 100 years to put uh, a colony on the moon. Or you can go the wild, reckless route. Right. Now, the wild, reckless mm-hmm. route does kind of lead to some cool things. Like dance parties on the moon. <laughs> yeah, until the moon blows up. Oh, that's bad. But so we've got two ways we can go. We can go safe or we can go reckless. And if we look at the reckless side, we've got two captains that are clearly reckless. And that brings us, Matthew, to... The poll of the week? <laughs> yes, the poll of the Dude, week. It was time like two minutes ago. No, that was the lead-in if no. you'd... He, did, he doesn't want you to interrupt anymore. Yes. He wants you to no, no, he's fine on. to interrupt, but right there at the end was the perfect oh. time for him to jump in. Time he was giving you the perfect time to interrupt. Yes. When he was done. <laughs> he was planning for yes. the interruption. Yes. That never worked. So this week, two, t- like two captains. Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the Starship Enterprise and Captain Han Solo, the captain of the Millennium Falcon. Actually, it's Captain Hannibal Caniclius Solo, I believe is his middle name. Who is the more reckless Captain Zach Go? Uh, well, if you've been following me being young, I've only watched one thing of Star Trek, and that was the J.J. Abrams movie. And granted, Kirk does some crazy stuff in there. He runs and jumps and throws a car off a cliff and drives a spaceship. But, um... Han Solo has a friend who could probably rip his face off at any moment. And he flies stuff for a, he smuggles things for like a giant worm creature. And he lived in carbonite for a while. So clearly Han Solo wins. Everybody follow that. <laughs> Do you follow that train of thought, Rodrigo? Oh, absolutely. Do you also <laughs> concur? Do you also concur that Han Solo is the more reckless captain? Well, I didn't before, but after hearing that, <laughs> <I'm sorry. laughs> yes. See, way to pick what up. Other, good, what other good comedy. Could I come to? Uh, no, but I, I do. I do agree. I think that. Um, I think that Han, both of them are scoundrels with a heart of gold, but Han Solo has a real advantage in that. At any point, yeah, and you could say that you know when the Death Star comes into play. Uh, the numbers go up significantly, but at any given point, Han Solo only has about five friends that he could get killed. Whereas, um, Kirk has about 10,000 people. So actually that changes my vote to Kirk. Now that I think about it, that would make him more reckless. Mm-hmm. So Rodrigo, one for mm. Kirk, young Zach, one for Han Solo, Matthew. Well, it's the lives of 430 crewmen are a factor, but there's something else you have to take into account. Han Solo was ready to abandon the battle with the Darth 
Darth Vader and the the, the Dark Star, the big uh, Death Star, to go and pay off the guy who owed him money. That's not reckless. That is a man who knows exactly what he needs to do to keep his skin intact. Kirk went head-to-head with a Gorn. Kirk beamed down to Landru's planet and went undercover. Kirk was at the head of every dangerous mission. The most dangerous missions, he's like, okay, I'm in charge. I'm going to go do this. Anytime something terrible happened, Kirk was there. And most importantly, Kirk did it with that fascinating speech pattern where you could have shot him in between any syllable, whereas Han Solo was pretty terse. He's like, you know what? Bang, I'll shoot you in the face with the gun. Wait, no, that was Indiana Jones. But I went with Kirk simply because Kirk has always shown that he has (laughs) blatant disregard for life, limb, the principles of the Federation, the Prime Directive, and pretty much anything but the Green Orion space women. And he gets away with it because he's just that awesome. Whereas Han Solo is awesome in a different way. But for me, the recklessness of Han Solo is more Han Solo is in a a kind of a crap sack world with a beat up ship and he has to take wild risks because that's how you survive. Kirk is in a shiny, shiny world where everything is perfect and wonderful and there's no money and there's no hatred and there's no uh, differential and nobody you know wants to kill anybody. And he still goes out and finds ways to injure himself and endanger his people and his ship because he's looking for trouble. Hmm. Well, I would say Captain Kirk, all that, that stuff that he does, putting himself in danger, he's still not crazy reckless. He's reckless within the confines of the Prime Directive and what his military officers uh, want him to do. So in a sense, he's still working within his boundaries. Han Solo, on the other hand, is one who has no boundaries because he's only looking out for one person, himself. And if that means he's got to shoot first, if that means he's got to uh, go charging into a, a horde of stormtroopers, guns a-blazing, if that means he has to crash land on the planet Earth and live out his days until Indiana Jones finds him years later, then Han, Han Solo is the more reckless captain. And that's who I went with. If it you know, means he has to run over to a stormtrooper and kind of tap him on the shoulder and then yes. run in the opposite direction. Yes, yes. Han Solo also tried to get with Darth Vader's daughter. There you go. I mean, how reckless is that? Pretty crazy. Grabs her boob Pretty crazy. in uh, Return of the Jedi. Yeah, look at that. Yeah. Top to feel. Yep. Definitely Captain Kirk says, uh, oh gosh, the text is so small. Uh, says, Jer Devins, why he has the crew to look out for. If Han Solo does something stupid, it's just him and Chewie that face the consequences. Uh, obviously, anyone that makes the Kessel run in less than 12 parsecs is more reckless, says Kevin. <laughs> Um, okay, just to go on the record here, Han shot first, Greedo no, uh, at Greedo no less. Obviously, he's more reckless. Um, Landa says two words, Kobayashi Maru. Uh, gosh. Yeah. yeah, that's a good point. He cheats. Yeah, there you go. Um, I, but I've never saw one of the green Orion girls go to Kirk and say, I love you. And Kirk looks back and says, I know. Yeah. No, how <laughs> reckless is that? He's, he, the only reason he said okay. that is because he knew Edith, she cannot Keeler. come down here and beat the living crap out of me because I'm going to be frozen. Only reason. Edith Keeler. The year is 1936. They're in Chicago. Kirk knows that the world will end if he tries to save the girl that he has the hots for. And Spock has to physically restrain him from doing it anyway because he's just that reckless. Atlantis says, Han, 
Han, he's the only one who really cares for himself and he isn't going to take needless risks as often. It's why he initially backed off on the run against the Death Star. Kirk would willingly put himself and his crew in harm's way for the sake of whatever that week's plot was. Jeff says Solo. Blue Yonder says, I think it depends on which Kirk we're talking about. Uh, Law says Kirk is playing with the lives of over 400 people. BVK says, well, Han, <laughs> Han has to navigate an asteroid field. Um Spider Lover says Han may have been more reckless. However, I don't believe Han would put his crew in danger by fornicating with green women at every turn. Uh, Matt says Han Solo in the expanded universe. Kirk says old comic fan. One captain's second in command is a logical space elf. The other captain's second in command is a large feral Sasquatch like creature that pulls people's arms out of their socket when he loses. Got to go with Captain Solo on this one, says KVH. Uh, Daniel says, I say Kirk solo never sent a red shirt to get killed first. <laughs> uh, oh. how did the rest of the, uh, major spoilers nation vote? Matthew, who is the more reckless captain Kirk or who captain is... solo? You are well, number one. You, just be... Stop that. No, he's that half white and half black. No, he's half black and he's half white. <laughs> he's the Riddler. Uh, in a, Tight suit. 175 <laughs> spoilers voting. 39% saying Captain Kirk. 61% Captain Solo. But Stephen did choose a much, much prettier picture. No, they're both by Adam Solo Hughes. They're James. both by Adam Hughes. And both yet, Adam Hughes. Solo still looks prettier. I know. Well, there you go. Still, you know. In, He's a pretty, pretty man. In Solo's picture, though, it looks like one of the kids from Hogwarts is photobombing them, though. <laughs> <laughs> it scares the piss yeah. out of me. Oh, my God. <laughs> Aren't I reckless? I lived as a baby. That does look like Neville Longbottom. That does look like Neville back there. I guess I didn't see that. (laughs) That's like one of the first things I saw. Uh, I kind of thought like the picture was haunted. I don't know why why there would be a kid in a tie. I don't know. I'm going to have to go back to the original image because uh, standing to uh, Han's right is Princess Leia and then Luke Skywalker next to him. I'm going to have to go back and see what the cover was for the, this. The only assumption I can make is that Hogwarts and Star Wars happen in the same universe. They probably do. Yep. Star Wars is what they call it. Star Wars. Minerva McGonagall they have, they have a thing Star Wars. If you, if you think about, if you think about <laughs> Get a, a shot lot for of that. the stuff, uh, a lot of the magic in Harry Potter, most yeah. of it involve, revolves around moving things or yeah. causing some kind of weird ghostly... Oh, like, yeah, yeah, force, God, force magic. The same thing. Yep. Yep. I they mean, just, there is the odd teleportation, which presumably the Jedi had don't don't right, have now. Right. But and most Harry, of it is either zapping, blasting, and a wand or is really just a just a solid lightsaber. Yep, it's a force focus, absolutely. Yeah, it's a lightsaber, only different. And when you look at it, and made of wood. Now that you mention <laughs> it, it's, it's a lightsaber wood. <laughs> yeah, don't ask someone if you want to see if she wants to see your wood saber because. Yeah, well, Valentine's hey, Day. Look at that! It's time. Time to take a break, and uh, we are going to uh, take a listen to uh, Cat Halo as he does his review of Warm Bodies, that zombie movie. Did that come out last week, or maybe I they? So. Maybe this is one of the ones that uh, Europe gets before we do. I think it came out. I think they got it because I, I think Rob already out. I think Rob saw it. Oh, really? I'm sure, it's already okay. out. Yeah. All right. Well, Rob went to Europe. You know how Rob is. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's got Forgot. nothing else better to do. He's with the jet set. That's right. <laughs> All right, we're going to take Setting a break. Off, when uh, we come back, we're going to be taking a look uh, at Dracula. The curse of Dracula. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Stick around. That's the count. Shut up, you!
<laughs> Greetings and salutations, major spoilers. Cat Halo back again with more movie ramblings. This week I was shocked to hear that two friends and my wife had never seen Big Trouble in Little China, so I had to fix that. The movie is 80s-tastic, made entirely for mullets and synth music. It hasn't aged terribly well, but it's all the awesomer for it. Russell and Cattrall overact all over the place, yet it is still pitch perfect. The FX are cool, including the awesome 80s blue electricity. Um, this is a favourite of my youth, and it is still a big bundle of bonkers fun. I also saw Warm Bodies. Um, this is actually pretty good. It, it's not Shaun of the Dead or Zombieland, but it's definitely not Twilight with Zombies. It's genuinely charming and funny, with a surprisingly great performance from Nicholas Holt, who was a beast in X-Men First Class. My thoughts on Bodies will, hopefully, be up on Majorspoilers.com soon, where my uh, flight review has actually just gone up in the last couple of days. My thoughts on Big Trouble in Little China, along with lots of other thoughts, um, are up on my Facebook page, Cat Halo Movies. There's also a zombie poll up there, which are your favourite zombie movies, so... Go there, cast a vote. Um, I'll be going to see Wreck-It Ralph uh, tomorrow, actually. It's finally out here, so I'll be bringing my niece to see it. I'm quite looking forward to that, so hopefully I'll have thoughts on that up in the next couple of days as well. On the comic book front, I finished the Green Lantern event, Rise of the Third Army. In short, it's rather meh, you know? The Green Lantern issues were more about the new Green Lantern, which I'm kind of enjoying. And I've been liking the Green Lantern core. However, the other two Lantern titles have been very unimpressive, as is the event as a whole. When the, then the climax was just a letdown, simply serving as a lead-in to the next Green Lantern event, with this whole first Lantern shenanigans. It, it's just a shame, to be honest. Um, this coming week, I intend on finishing off Death in the Family, so uh, hopefully, or Death of the Family, um, so I'll have my thoughts on that next week. And as always, that is that. You can find me on the Facebook, Cat Halo Movies, on the Twitter, at Cat Halo Movies, and in the major spoilers forums. It happens to be my birthday next week, so everybody listening, if you wanted to do me a great favor and get me a present, click on my Facebook page and like it, or follow me on the Twitter. I would very much appreciate it. It would be very, very cool indeed. And on that, I'll leave you. Thank you, guys, and have a fantastic week. We have solved the mystery of the Harry Potter in the background. Looks like that cover was from a convention cover. Mm. So, yes, there's a lot of people standing around taking pictures, and there is somebody dressed up as uh, Neville Longbottom yeah. in the bottom. I'm still holding And ironically, the there's Potter no slave layers. Actually, oh, there's been... a slave lay right there in the middle of the picture. Anyway, <laughs> uh, thanks to Cat Halo for sending in his uh, thoughts on warm bodies. And we didn't have any phone calls this week. But if you'd like to oh, share man. a thought, a comment, a suggestion, an idea, a recommendation, whatever it may be, we have the Major Spoilers hotline that you can call and leave that message. And if it's awesome, we will play it back on the show. Matthew, that phone number is... 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers doesn't drink wine hotline. <laughs> no, that's not how he laughs. <laughs> That's not, that's the count, that's Count Von Count. It's not the same as Dracula. Seven, uh, listen to seven little numbers. numbers. Eight, oh, oh, eight oh, little numbers. They five, five <laughs> little numbers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
listeners, if you want to hear that uh, that exchange again in in clear uh, quality sound, crisp clear stereo. Actually, I think we distribute this podcast in mono. So the crisp clear sound of mono. You want to grab yourself a pair of tweaked audio headphones. Tweaked audio headphones come in a variety of different colors: uh, red, blue, green, black, silver, something else probably too. They got a wood grain one that's pretty wood. cool. Uh, they've got four different styles, six different colors. You can get them with a microphone built in. They sound great. They've got some that I've been using with my iPhone that I just love to death. They're better than the than the Apple earbuds. Anything is better than Apple earbuds. Even these newly designed ones. I tried those out for a day. Hated them. I love these uh, headphones that we have from TweakedAudio.com. And you will, too, when you go over to TweakedAudio.com and you check out. Use the code MAJOR and get one-third off your price. That's pretty cool. TweakedAudio.com. We thank them for their support. Okay, let us talk about the Curse of Dracula. This is not the Tomb of Dracula, right? Tomb of Dracula, give us some rundown on Tomb of Dracula. Is this the same universe that we're talking about? No. Not even the well, same universe? yes and no. Well, it, it, there, there's kind of a snag, you see, and the Tomb of Dracula was, in fact, a licensed title. And even though the stories that were told are owned by Marvel Comics, Dracula and most of the supporting cast... You know, Quincy Harker and all of those guys right. still belong to whoever owns the Dracula trademark, the Bram Stoker estate or whomever. So Tomb of Dracula was a Marvel comic mm-hmm. from the 1970s that was made, basically made successful by the team of Marv Wolfman and uh, Gene Colan, who did this issue. Right. And essentially in Tomb of Dracula, Dracula ran around the Marvel Universe, uh, had adventures, people tried to kill him. There was a tomb of, of vampire killers chasing him down with uh, Quincy Harker, who was like the son of something. This has Van Helsing, which I think was a movie with Wolverine in it. Yeah. Which is similar, but different. Yeah. And this uh, Tomb of Dracula also had Blade in it, right? Is that the is that yes, where we Blade first got to see Blade? Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Hannibal King. Mm-hmm. And all sorts of characters. And Deacon Frost, who was horribly oh, yeah, yeah. played by Stephen in that first Blade movie. Yeah. So so there's a bunch of vampire hunters trying to track Dracula down in Tomb of Dracula. There is a Harker and there is a Van Helsing in the Tomb of Dracula. Written by Marv Wolfman and drawn by Gene Colan. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have The Curse of Dracula. Featuring a uh, team of vampire hunters with a Harker and a Van Helsing and a Dracula, also written by Marv Wolfman and Gene Colan. So how, wh- why are these so too different? Because they are different interpretations of Dracula, different interpretations of the characters. But again, it's, it's kind of a separate, if you want to get right down to it, it's a separate almost fan fiction-y take on mm. the original work. So give us they a run- can't be in the sure. same universe. Oh, no, probably because not. Because Tomb of Dracula explicitly takes place in the Marvel Universe and involves Dracula biting Storm at least once. And, of course, all those X-Men turning into Draculas, too. Yeah, all those X-Men and Draculas. So uh, what happens Dracula. then in The Curse of Dracula? In The Curse of Dracula. There is a group of vampire hunters... Led by, I think it's Jonathan Van Helsing. Yes. Whereas the Marvel book had Rachel Van Helsing. Right. Jonathan Van Helsing uh, 
has uh, his throat had had his throat ripped out, and so every time he talks, he uses a voice box. And I hear Dennis Leary, oh, "Dad, can we go to the beach?" Um, by the way, awesome car. I don't know where he got that car. John the Monsters has an incredible car. Did he? From the monsters. It kind of looks that way when I looked at it. Here's the thing. This is the thing that kind of tripped me out because as we start this story, I'm thinking Tomb of Dracula, you know, thinking all the great Dracula tales that people read in the 70s uh, and before uh, a lot of that stuff. And I'm thinking, okay, this is a tale that's taking place in like the 1970s swinger period of San Francisco. Turns out it's not. Not at all. It's taking place in in a very modern San Francisco setting. And yeah, I'm okay with that, 90s, but it did, yeah, it did kind of throw me off though a little bit. So go on, Matthew, fill us in on the rest of uh, what's going on in this story. <laughs> well, he has a character in, on his group who is vaguely offensive to me by the name Hiroshima, who is a blind, uh, telepathic, half vampire human who I think has more than a little bit of blade in her. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nikita Kazan, who used to be a uh, Russian double agent, and uh, his boss, his driver, Simon, and they are vampire hunters and they hunt vampires. And apparently, Dracula's latest plan, evil plan, is to try and gain power by taking over the minds and the souls of people who are either in power or going to be in power, including um, some serious bitey-bitey on the wife of a very promising presidential candidate. While the vampire hunters led by Van Helsing try to stop him and kill him and are drawn by Gene Colan, so they look really awesome. Yeah, they do. Kind of backfires, though, for the uh, – we found out that uh, Dracula's making out with the presidential candidate's wife, and she's madly in love with him, as as vampires often play that out onto, uh, onto their victims. And uh, the presidential candidate – man, this guy's a real bastard. I mean, he beats his wife, tells her what to do. Basically is trying to pimp her out and just really not a good guy. And we find out that he basically agreed to give his wife over to Dracula if he, Dracula would use his powers to get him the presidential Ooh. nod. Mm-hmm. And so it's, kind of, it's really, I think, kind of a fascinating story, especially how it, how it ends uh, with uh, people getting killed left and right. It almost kind of has a... I don't know, it has one of those creepy, eerie tales, you know, where here's the supernatural force meddling with man's desires to be greater, and in the end, that's man's downfall um, mm-hmm. kind of elements. But then we've got all these vampire hunters going around, killing vampires, blowing them up in many graphic di- graphic displays. Um, and then it ends with, yeah, you know, kind of one of those strange twist things. Well, I I think that it's it's a it's a hook. Oh, sure, a sequel hook. Uh, Rodrigo, what did you think of this this series? It's four issues long. It's collected now in a hardcover. Out this week, I think, from Dark Horse Comics. Uh, I definitely like the art a lot. Uh, I thought the the story kind of. I feel that a lot of what actually happens in the story could have been a little bit more condensed. Definitely. Um, I didn't, I, sometimes I'm, I'm annoyed by a lot of description. I thought the description in this was really good. Um, very poetic, sometimes a little bit over the top, but 
You know, this is Dracula. He's an important vampire. You know, he's doing things. He gets to have three paragraphs describing his face. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. His big blue face blah. His cool trench coat. Yeah. Well, on the cover, he's like wearing a a cape. Yeah. On the cover, he's wearing like a biker jacket from the 50s. So. Really? Because I thought that was the top of his trench coat. I don't know. It looks like one of those leather biker jackets. Who knows? Zach, what did you think of this uh, Curse of Dracula? Um, here was my issue with this was that we're reading the preview copy from Dark Horse, right? Which comes in like a PDF, so you have to right. scroll through other pages, right? And I'm pretty sure there was a lot of there was a lot of double yeah, page, a lot of a lot double page spread, mm-hmm. and I'm yeah, sure I missed about half of them right. on the first time read through, and I was so effing confused in parts because I would miss like half a half a dialogue for a sequence, and then I go back like, oh, okay, makes more sense. But, yeah, and the other part is in this electronic version that we received, and again, this is a copy that they sent us, and we're yeah, glad yeah, yeah. to have that. Um, if you open it up in a reader that will read it as a double page, mm-hmm. the numbering is still off on the pages, so that when you do get to the double page spread, you still it's still on two separate right. pages. Right. Yeah, yeah. Right. So the I, I thought the story was interesting and definitely had some twist and was I, I thought the story was cool, but the only reason it suffered for me and I didn't come away like super pleased with it was because I couldn't read it in the actual format that it should be printed in and I can't see all the double page spreads and I can't perfectly follow the story along. Uh, besides that, I mean, it was a fun, quick read with the art was uh, like really good. Yeah, that's that's one thing, Rodrigo. You know, you say that there's a lot of uh, description, a lot of descriptive text, like how the vampires are exploding and, you know, the cylinders locked and six wooden projectiles you know found their targets one explode and they just go into all this mm-hmm. detail about the death of these vampires and what uh, van helsing and others are doing and yet even with all of that description in there this reads very very quickly yeah yeah and i think actually i think a big part of that is the art you know the it's got a really good pace to it mm-hmm um, and it really sets you up, you know, you can see the panel construction, not only does it fit the action, but it also kind of guides you through the book. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a lot of, sometimes in, in any given page, there's a lot going on, but I never found myself thinking, oh, which panel goes first here or anything like that. You know, if you just either follow the normal comic convention or the page itself will tell you in which direction you're supposed to be going. I right. Mean, that's, yeah. it's, it's got really, really good um, layout. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the, as far as the art goes, I really, really love the art. And I think when in this collected hardcover uh, in the very back, they have a bunch of black and whites without the colors. Mm-hmm. And I think I would have preferred this entire series to be done in that black and white style, just the pencils, as opposed to, the coloring they put on top of the pencils because it just looked like someone took a uh, colored cr- uh, pencil. It looks like colored pencil. Yeah, colored it does. Pencils. And I and I just wasn't a fan of how it filled in because when you look at the really contrasty black and white images in the back, man, that feels like you know the Tomb of Dracula, the black and white series of uh, Dracula and Vampirella from from back in the seventies or the eighties when kids would smuggle them into class and go, "Look what I got! Look at this Conan book! Oh my God, look at it!" And it's all black and white, and that's what it felt like. And it just, for some reason, the coloring just really bothered me in this. Not to say that it's bad, it's just that 
when you're filling in your blacks and it looks like you've been filling it in with a colored pencil, it just kind of falls apart for me. Um, the other thing that was somewhat slightly bothersome was that, um, and it's, and I'm not saying this is bad. It's just bothersome for me was the layout on each page. A lot of times it seemed like there was a lot of space wasted because of the way that the, that colon was, you know, tilting the frame or causing the panels to flow across the double page spread. And at times I was just like, oh man, there could be more, there's more space just left there. That's not even white space to cause you to breathe and take a break. It's just there because of the way the layout fit in this vertical uh, format that you couldn't put anything more in there. And so it just felt like there was wonderful art that we could have seen, but we just ended up with blank spaces. Matthew, you have some thoughts or reactions to the art? Well, I, I definitely disagree with the the thought that uh, that there's wasted space. I think there's intentional negative space, and I think that especially when it comes to someone like Colin, definitely the coloring is difficult. It, it's got to be absolutely just mind rending to try and work with Colin's pencils because the pencils as they are, and I I, I have original issues. I busted out my issues because I couldn't find the uh, review copy that Steven sent me. But I happen to have this one. And I think that there's a little bit of difference in the original printing. But it still comes down to a question of how do you color art that is this moody and smoky and dark? And a lot of it comes across as, as overly blue or overly green, you know, trying to give me the effect of darkness or, you know, the lack of color. And it comes across saturated and it comes across kind of, you know, less successful. But I think that all of the empty space is there for a reason. And I think that anytime there's a gutter, even if it's a really big gutter, it's designed to do what Rodrigo described. It's pushing your eye to that next bit of action. There's a sequence where um, Dracula has grabbed Nikita, the the, uh, Russian spy, and he's got his gun, and he's making Nikita shoot mm-hmm. at someone. Spoilery! But as you follow it, the page tilts, and it does that that Rod Serling kind of tilt like the camera would always tilt in the scary episodes of The Twilight Zone. What do they call that? It's like the French canted, curve? Dutch canted angle. angle or the Dutch angle. The Dutch angle, yeah. French curve, Dutch angle, it's all the same. When Belgian they waffles. went through the, the Belgian waffle, exactly, that's what it was. It was the French toast. And I love the effect because it's emulating that angle that I know. It's taking that cinematic approach and giving me something that makes perfect sense. And in one episode, something terrible happens, or at one point, and at the bottom of the page, the panel is kind of smoky on one side and then fades across and it's Mm -hmm. solid. Mm -hmm. But the side that's all smoky and indistinct is the side with Dracula in it as though Dracula is either kind of floating up or, you know, doing his little misty trick or whatever it is. And then when you get to the real person on the other side, it's a solid panel. There's a lot of that there that you don't even look at the construction of it. I don't think there's a square panel in the whole series. There are, there are, but yeah, that's great. But I love the fact that it's not, it's not like a nine panel grid, right? Even though they're, you know, there are a lot of great things you can do with a nine panel grid. This is Gene Colan going, I want this panel to be one quarter of the page, but it's kind of canted like a rhombus. And you're just like, 
how how would you even think about doing that? That's brilliant. It's freaky. I kind of like it. And then, of course, that awesome car keeps showing up. Well, so. and I'm not saying that it's totally terrible. I just feel like I would like to see more of his art. And I think that in some cases where you have the double page spread and you've got the four panels on the bottom or the six panels on the bottom that kind of uh, bend one way and then bend the other to flow across the page is really good. There's a page where um, the the uh, presidential candidate's having a fight with his wife and she's naked and she's leaning into the curtain and the curtain uh, points into the next panel that you're supposed to read. So yeah, a lot of that stuff's really good, but you could have gotten the same effect with that uh, picture of the, of the woman, but you could have increased it by 50% and still had the same effect, still had the same angle, still had all that stuff. But then you've got a good portion of the bottom of that page that's completely, completely blank. And that, and I think that's just me because I want to see more of this art. Well, and the other thing is, is that that is, a, that is in, in a lot of ways a formal issue. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, oh, because if you look at other panels, for example, nowadays, uh, it, it seems that, you know, it's, it's well, I, I, and I guess it depends on the artist. But for example... Even if somebody's doing wacky things with the paneling, usually the panels will end before they get to the edge of the page. Like, yeah, you will yeah. always mm-hmm. have a gutter right. on either end yeah. of the page. And here, that doesn't always happen. No, not always. No. Sometimes, like, the most disconcerting thing about the art to me is that sometimes that doesn't happen. Sometimes yes. a panel will go all the way to the edge of the page. Yeah, and beautiful. and yeah. for some reason, that bothers me way more than having, like, open negative space. Mm-hmm. And you just have to... I mean, you just kind of have to. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's it's my personal. This guy's gonna do whatever. Yeah, it's my personal little weirdness about it. And that, then the panels running off the page is what totally threw me off reading this. Oh yeah, because you were expecting that it was that is that means it's a double page and it doesn't. And then I'd be flipping back and forth. It's 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 kind of the the artistic equivalent of that moment where Jimi Hendrix was at Monterey playing all the stuff and the crowds just looking at him and he. Then he lights his guitar on fire. <laughs> the crowd has no idea what's going on. This is kind of that. It, it's to me, Colin is working way ahead of the average, you know, even the average reader, but the average artist style and doing things that are clearly designed to go, hey, wouldn't it be awesome if you have a big Dracula face in the center that bleeds into three different panels mm-hmm. and those panels all make sense? Right. That kind of, you know, that kind of wacky stuff that adventurousness that you get here i uh, that's half the reason to read this book for me is well the art is wild kind of how does that go the art is fantastic Mm. don't get me wrong the art is fantastic um but i would you know really take a look at the black and white stuff in the back uh, because it's really cool too now was tomb of dracula color or was it a black and white tomb of dracula the Tomb of Dracula comic book was a full-color book. Mm-hmm. There were a couple of black-and-white Dracula books. Um, I want to say either Vampire Tales or Tales of the Vampire or something like that. And then there was one that was um, a black-and-white, like a six- or seven-issue story that got canceled before it ended. So, I mean, there was both at Marvel, but Tomb of Dracula itself was, I want to say, like 62 issues full-color. Okay, cool. Ran forever. Ran for like almost to the end of the 80s or to the end of the the 70s, rather. Sure. It started like right about when we were born and ran till either 79 or 80. I don't remember which. 
Cool. Yeah, 72 to 79 is Tomb of Dracula. Interesting. Uh, Rodrigo, are there things that you didn't care for in this? Uh, the story, I guess. Um, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, but I thought um, it's like, here's a team of cool vampire hunters. And most of the time, they're just kind of clumped up together shooting at vampires. Yeah. Uh, so it, this actually, and it's it, it really is because I'm... I just play a lot of role-playing games, but this really did seem to me like a bunch of people creating some cool <laughs> characters that are going to go be vampire hunters. And then all they do is like figure out, like either be attacked by vampires from every direction, or they find a vampire, they find a Dracula factory and they go shoot it up and they all have powers and they all have backstories. But most of the time they're just running around shooting vampires. Well, and I think that it's the, it's this, you know, we get a little bit about their backstory, like the ex-KGB guy, his family was killed by Dracula, and so he's got that beef. But a lot of this stuff, it's almost like we're dropped in and we expect to already know who these characters are. But oh, for those of you who this is yeah. the first time, here's your little brief yeah. recap. And so that's why I'm like, how does this tie into the other Dracula books that that have that have come out? And that's why it, it feels like, and because it's by the same creators, it feels like it's a continuation of that story. Um, Zach, what, what, uh, what did you have problems with besides the, uh, the electronic? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I guess it kind of goes story. I didn't really like any of the vampire hunters. I honestly didn't care if any of them died. I thought, uh, Dracula was interesting because I mean, he's Dracula and the cam, the politician's wife, um, development was interesting to follow, but for the uh for the other half of the book that was just the vampire hunters i didn't i didn't care if any of them died and i when the it finally happened i was like oh, okay i kind of forgot even who that guy was oh, okay. so i mean uh yeah just i didn't i just didn't like the i don't know why didn't really like him anything not to like matthew from your perspective yeah, I don't think that the the secondary characters are anywhere near as strong as they were in Tomb of Dracula. There is nobody in this issue who has the same awesome of a Blade or a Taj Nital. Love Taj Nital, by the way. You know, there's no one here who has the same gravitas of the Marv Wolfman Marvel version of Quincy Harker. Mm-hmm. And Van Helsing himself kind of comes across a little schmucky to me, so... I would agree. Marv Wolfman's uh, writing is very 70s here. Yeah. But in a good way. Yeah. And also a bad way. It's kind of a a Bronze Age book in a lot of ways. But there's not, I don't know if it's not that there's not enough room or there's not enough focus in the story, but there's not really a reason for me to really want Van Helsing and his uh, band of guys to do anything or to win, I guess is what I'm saying. So when it comes down to it, the whole fun of this is what kind of crazy badness can Dracula get up to? Right. How right. awesome is that art? You know, how amazing is this? And also, what sort of things that fire uh, wooden stakes are they going to come <laughs> up with next? That was so confusing. There is a this, really... Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, this originally came out in the middle of the run of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in 98, actually, mm. is when this book originally was printed. So I'm wondering if they, you know, that that X Files Buffy Millennium kind of world mm-hmm. didn't have some input to what they did on the page. I mean, there is no way that sword came out of that gun the way it's drawn. 
No. I don't. I don't. No, see how it did. Possible. I don't see how that's possible. It went kachak. <laughs> At the end of the the end of the gun pretty- looks like a, you're supposed to put a quarter into it. No, it was it was spring loaded to oh. the side of the gun, and then it flings out like uh, that James Bond thing. There are actually what what happens is there's a you put a log and you cut a hole in the center and that fits on top of the gun, and then when you press the trigger, it actually whittles a sword. <laughs> oh. Yeah, that's the. The AK-47 Whitler right there is what that is. Mm, there are two very cool uh, bits by Marv Wolfman at the beginning of this book where he's talking about how he learned to write and how um, how Tomb of Dracula and how he figured out how to write a Dracula tale um, and how it came about. So those are really worth uh, reading if you guys didn't uh, check those out. And, of course, the bonus material, the black and whites in the back of the colon art, uh, really fantastic as well. Uh, bottom line for me, I say pick this book up. Uh, it's worth it. I mean, I think that you're going to get a, a, a pretty good story. You're going to see some stuff that isn't just um, vampires that are turning all, all sparkly and uh, swooping down on you and romancing the ladies out from under you. Instead, you get a blue vampire that's uh, swooping down upon you and taking the ladies out from under you. Romancing ladies. Romancing the ladies. <laughs> he, he doesn't glitter, though. No, he doesn't. He's blue. Um, but and it she is, is full grown. She's but I, uh, I did like this. I did like this book. It reads really fast. Mm-hmm. I think the art is really good. Um, I like the story. I think it, like, I forget who mentioned it a little bit ago about it. It has that 70s vibe to it. I, I really dug it. So I say pick it up. Zach? Oh, man. There's some cool aspects of the story, but I mean, I had my issues with it besides the whole digital thing. Um, just with the characters, I, if you like Gene Colan art, then you probably should totally have this. Uh, side note, the lettering is also really cool when like things get yelled and they get letters get really big. Oh yeah. Sweet, sweet lettering. Um, but for that fact alone, I wouldn't pick this up just for the art. Um, if you like, I mean, yeah, if you like the art, you should pick it up. If not, probably isn't needed. Maybe rent it. Just check it out from the library. Quick read. Rodrigo, what about you? Uh, I will mostly agree with Zach on that. Um, I think that as I was reading it, there were a lot of places where I was like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if like this was happening instead? Um, And most of that involved not seeing the vampire hunters. And they're important to the book. Uh, I just wasn't crazy about them. I think the stuff that Dracula is doing is cool. If he had an actual interesting foil, it would be a lot stronger. Um, again, the art is really good. Uh, if you're into kind of your dark, um, really kind of old school horror comics, uh, you should pick this up. But if you want the, the total package of story and art and everything, I would give this a pass. And finally to you, Matthew. Well, there's a reason why this book is being reprinted. And the reason is Gene Colan passed away last year. And there ain't going to be any more new Gene Colan art. I own the original issues. However, I am going to go probably at least check out and see what the price point is on this. I think it's 24 because Let me go look real quick. 24.95. I think it's that. Uh no, uh 12.99 is the cover price. You can get it for 7.82. By following our, um, that's for the Kindle edition, following our link over at Majorspoilers.com. I think it's, uh, yeah, twelve ninety nine cool. regularly. Nice. I would say at that price, 
I would at least check it out because it is good looking. And, you know, the, the story, while filled with some of the pitfalls of telling a standard or semi-standard vampire story, it's still good. I mean, even the worst Marv Wolfman is, you know, it's like pizza. It's not the greatest thing in the world, but it's still pizza. And it's still pretty, you know, I can eat this pizza all day. You'll regret it in the morning. But that's neither here nor there. I would say definitely check it out. And I think that, you know, if I were going to say, should you buy something drawn by Gene Colan? Yes. Yes, you should. What if it's a Smurf comic book written by an eight-year-old in crayon? Yes. Yes, you should. Because it's Gene Colan. It's just, to me, artistically that interesting and that fascinating to look at. You know, mileage varies for everybody. Not everybody is an art slut like I am, uh, especially old school uh, artists of the the weirdo Marvel 70s vein. But definitely it's an interesting story. And even for the flaws that it has, it's a story interesting enough to at least, you know, merit a look. All right, everyone. Thank you for being on the show this week. Zach and Matthew and Rodrigo, thank you for your inputs and your thoughts. Uh, and that wraps it up for this issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you, listeners, for downloading the show, being part of the Major Spoilers experience. Next week, I think, I think, I got to do a double check, but I'm pretty sure we're going to be taking a look at the Smurfs next week. Oh. Why? Because we know that you love comics, and we do too, and we will talk with you soon. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at Twitter.com slash Majorspoilers. Spoilers. revision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as that comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. Yeah, what a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Oh, wait, I think I found a better way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just buzz through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the would deal with all those tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I bag and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. What I really even need to keep up on all those escapades. I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being caught up in a fun bee in the Middle East with a king set throwing soldier.
Major spoilers is copyright 2013.